What's going on guys? Welcome to People Playing Games and Happy New Year. We somehow made it into 2018. Not sure how, but I'm not complaining. And most importantly, we have a great new guest. Joining me today is one of the biggest gaming YouTubers out there, someone who has a knack for taking the highest end PC games and making them run on just about anything from a busted old laptop to a toaster. Uh, just kidding about the toaster part, but you get the idea. Uh, all the way from Spain, Alex, aka the low spec gamer. How are you doing, my friend? Hello, thank you for having me. Wow, that that introduction uh, makes me feel insufficient. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, wouldn't sell yourself short. You've got, well, I think you've got what over three hundred thousand subscribers now. Uh, four hundred thousand from yesterday, actually. Oh wow! Congratulations. Thank you. Awesome milestone. So yeah, for the folks that aren't familiar with you, how'd you uh, sum up your channel and what you do? Um, so usually when I, when I write like a bio for something, um, what I say is that I experiment with PC games to uh, try and change configuration files or install mods or do anything that is needed to take graphics to ungodly levels and then try to see what's the lowest end computer that, uh, that that game will work on and what's the lowest you can go under the minimum requirements. And when I'm not doing that, then I'm producing videos on the specific low end hardware and trying to push them to the limit. So if I get some a specific gadget that was never meant for to, to, to do gaming, I will, I will see what's the heaviest game that I can somehow get to run there. Or when I'm not doing that, I'm building computers out of trash or things that people throw away and then try to do the best quote-unquote gaming computer that I can using stuff that a lot of people will probably consider obsolete at this point. Uh, so yeah, pretty much a low-resolution maniac and someone who tries to push the, the limits of what you can do with really cheap or really old hardware. What inspired you to start doing this in the first place? Well, uh, when about five or six years ago... Um, so before I live in Spain, I, I live in Venezuela, in South America, where I was born. And uh, pretty much in, in most of the uh, developing countries, it is really complicated to get decent computer parts. And it is really expensive to get consoles as an alternative. There's always, every time a new console comes out, you can find people posting on Twitter pictures of the prices of those consoles, like in Brazil or Indonesia or stuff like that. And people don't really believe when they see pictures of, oh, a new PlayStation 4, only $1,500. And people are <laughs> like, ah, that, that, that's Photoshop. Nope, that, that's reality in developing countries. So uh, you, you kind of end up trying to game on, on whatever you have. And usually people are going to like spend money or something. You can spend a ton of money in a console that are all, you're only going to use to game. Or a lot of people just have a laptop because of school or university or because, you know, you need it for life. So you, you end up trying to play on that because you already have it. So in my case, I, I wasn't super bad. I had a medium range laptop, but uh, as the years went by, it became obvious that it wasn't the best thing for gaming. So I was always, always looking for, for ways to extend naturally what I could do with that laptop. Uh, even after I moved to Spain to finish my university studies, all I like I took my laptop with me and I move I, I kept moving through different places and different roommates, so that's all I had for that moment. Uh, so that sort of tradition or interest continue. 
And uh, um, I knew I knew already there was a sort of subculture going around the internet regarding people trying to to push the limits of games in this sense, but it's, it was also disorganized. Like all the videos that you will find online were really crappily made guides. Uh, you you will find guides for tweaking games like on Steam forums, but they were really badly written and badly organized. Uh, and I I kept thinking to myself like wow I mean someone should do something interesting with this uh, someone not not just a guide or just something badly produced like something fun like um, I felt a little bit like all the the PC related YouTube channels were a little bit too oriented to onto the high end uh, and that that didn't represent correctly a lot of the people that were gaming online. Uh, so I kept thinking to myself, wow, I wish someone actually did a channel that was a little bit more relevant to people talking to the low end, a little bit more entertaining for that, or like raise awareness that that niche even existed. And at some point, that idea went from, I wish someone did this, to why don't I actually try to do it? Uh, but, you know, I was busy with university and with work and, and stuff, but the idea kept going through my mind. And after several uh, major transformations and events in my life after uh, working with startups and, and sort of building a, an idea how to build a project, I found myself between jobs and are like really hunting for what else to do. And since I had the time, I decided to do it a little bit as an experiment in audience building. My my justification, my personal justification for that was I'm going to try it. I'm going to do my best in it. And when it fails, as this usually happens with YouTube projects, I'm going to use all the data that I gather from it and learn what I did wrong and, I, and get some interesting insights or lessons from it. So imagine my surprise when it didn't fail. Um, <laughs> about a year into the project, it, it was doing or growing so well that I decided to take the risk of doing it full time. And now it's basically my job. So yeah, what what is life like as you know as a as a full time YouTuber? Do you have kind of an everyday workflow, um, or is every day kind of different? It it depends on which stage a video is at. I'm usually working at several videos at the same time because it's the only way to to keep a sort of weekly flow of content. Otherwise, I will be making a video every two weeks. Um, so I I have documents where I keep track of. Uh, what stage each video or each research line that I'm going through is. And depending on where those are going, uh, I will do one thing or another during the day, even if it's researching, writing scripts, coming up with specific ideas, or just building, experimenting with hardware to see if anything interesting comes out of it. Because very often I just do an experiment and it doesn't pan out as I expect. So I have to either recycle that for something else, just abandon it so I can work into the next thing. Um, it is what I, what I could definitely say is that it is a bit of a marathon that never ends. Um, I have been lucky enough that attending like conferences or YouTube uh, organized events, I have managed to make friends of a lot of people that have been doing this for way longer than I do. Uh, some of them people that I greatly admired before I knew them. And I, I have always, I have become really surprised at how often in, in successful people in YouTube, you will see high, a lot of symptoms of like workah workaholism. Yeah, like, yeah, a lot of burnout. <laughs> yeah, because uh, the rhythm is so insane that unless you have some very specific features in your channel, if you aren't at least making like one piece of content a week, you keep people kind of forget about you. So everyone's just hustling and trying to keep up with the rhythm. So it's it's a lot of long work days and so on. But 
um, that that's usually why why people when you hear stories about people doing stuff on YouTube, you realize that most of them, the great majority of them, are really passionate about the topics that they're touching on their channel. Because if they were not, there will be no way to handle this grind. It will be impossible unless you really liked it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people on the outside don't realize how much work like operating a channel is. They might think, oh, you get to play video games for a living. It's so easy. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, it's YouTube is really obscure regarding how it works. It's really obscure regarding how much money each creator makes. It's very obscure. It's very hard to communicate just how much happens in the background. Uh, I mean, even in my channel, something that I um, that I always complain, I guess, about is that a lot of people that reach me don't seem to understand or I don't communicate correctly just how much work each video or each topic that I that I handle uh, takes. Um, I have like a a bunch of responses for most messages that I get like copy pasted on a document that I just paste every time someone asks the same question for the <laughs> time. And, and one of the responses is explaining a, in a very calm manner uh, that every video takes a lot of research and experimentation to figure out because a number of people believe that I have like some sort of superpower that I can just look <laughs> at a game and be like, yes, you have to do this, 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 and this, and it will work. Right. Uh, just to put an example, if I open my, my Facebook page messages at any given time, there will be like two or three messages of people going, hey, here's this super obscure game that you have never heard about, but I need some tips on how to make it work better. And I'll yeah. be like, hey, you know, I have never heard of that game, and each video takes a lot of research, so I, I don't have much to share at the moment. And a lot of them will answer back like, okay, but if I send you my configuration file would you be able to tell me what things to change and i'm just like that's not how it works <laughs> they, they think you just click a button and just it, magically find all the settings no or that i just read the file and like know what you have to change and it's not that simple and and even people who do uh, video essays or just people who plan their lives doing like comedic content all of that takes a lot of work and i and i have seen a lot of my friends uh working very hard on it so it is it is interesting to be on a level when you have an audience it definitely has its perks it definitely has its enjoyable parts but it is a lot of work yeah does it does it ever get overwhelming because you, you look at the comment section for any of your videos or even your steam page and it's always like do this one next do this one next I've, i saw you even have you know your own subreddit of people kind of suggesting what what they want to see um does, does yeah does it ever get overwhelming to kind of it keep, does. Up, keep up with all that it does. At that, well, at this point, I'm not even trying to keep up with other people's <laughs> requests and stuff. Um, this it's interesting because my relationship with people requesting a specific videos on on games has changed a lot since I started. I remember when I had like two or three videos and people starting like, oh, you know, you should do a video about this, about this. It was exciting because it was exciting to see that there were people out there who liked what I have made and actually wanted to see more. And that they, they, they were willing like to suggest topics for others. And a lot of the topics, a lot of the suggestions that I got very early were very good in the sense that there are games that helped my channel move along very quickly that I didn't even know existed if it weren't for the massive amount of people asking for them. But as time went by, it, it became a little bit of uh, my relationship changed a little bit. Uh, Let's put it this way. If you have like a thousand subscribers it's and you get people requesting stuff, it's easier to handle them. It's easier to 
talk to them and see exactly why they will want that to to have a more one-on-one type of control when you have more than that it becomes this massive wall of noise of people asking things and this is the internet and so people get really annoying or really pushy when i don't do exactly what they say right um so you use you start using resources like polls or like try to classify them into uh, bigger areas or uh, the the relationship you have with each comment sort of changes and it does get overwhelming but i try to do my best to keep it a little bit in order um i have for example started keeping a more transparent list of games that i have already tried but got nothing out of so people will stop asking about that and i like share them constantly in comments or link them in descriptions uh the subreddit has been better in that sense because uh, you, you can moderate the subreddit you have better moderation tools so you can put them all in one place and actually discuss them better the discord also has been much better at that because i have a channel just dedicated for that and since i ask people to post those recommendations publicly uh, then i can um, it, other people can chime in and sometimes people would make uh, a suggestion and they will discuss them among themselves and will be able to see that conversation and, and try to derive some information from it. And it can definitely, definitely be overwhelming. I do, um, I, I have taken measures to disable notifications of like most social related networks of my phone because otherwise it will be like making noises all day. <laughs> yeah, you never get any sleep. Yeah, exactly. I will never get any sleep. But uh, with 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 the proper psychological and technological tools, you kind of fall into a workflow where you can do it correctly. Cool. So yeah, it seems like being transparent, kind of having those avenues like Reddit for people to kind of chat amongst themselves seems to help. Yes, definitely. So to get into the, the nitty gritty a bit about what you do, how do you go about finding all of these kind of hidden settings that you know, maybe the developers don't want you to see in a PC game? It depends a lot on each game. Um, in some games, I get really lucky, and there's some people that have documented things that they have discovered before, and it's just a matter of ordering and testing them, especially testing them, because you will be surprised the amount of, of, of like performance tweaks that are floating for popular games around the line. They're just not real. Uh, especially after you you start seeing um, re- recycling things between engines helps a lot. Like I remember doing a video for I think it was Astroneer, which I think is an indie. Is it still early access? Main I think I think movie. that's still an early access. Yeah, that kind of yeah. space exploration game. Yeah, exactly. But uh, a lot of people were writing configuration files for that one, and that was an Unreal Engine four. And just looking at those files, I learned a lot about how Unreal Engine 4 reads configuration files. And I took that file, I modified it, and that became the base for like the configuration file that I use for PUBG or the configuration file that I use for uh, one of the game, I think Fortnite even for a little while. Um, uh, so recycling things between engines that are similar helps a lot. It, reading developer documentation helps a lot as well. There, there was an interesting case with Fortnite, actually, specifically. Fortnite is the uh, Battle Royale game made by Epic Games, which a lot of people compare to sort of a free cartoony version of PUBG. Yep. And uh, um, there was no, like, anyone discussing performance tweaks for this game of line. But this is made by Epic, the people who make the engine. So I look up the developer uh, sort of documentation for Unreal and how you structure a configuration file, how a configuration file works. 
and clearly, I mean, they had followed their own developer documentation because if you saw something on the developer conf- uh, developer documentation and tried on the game, it will work like always. So I wrote a configuration file for that based on the on the examples they had on the developer page, and it worked great. And like I did the video like two months passed, and a new update came and blocked all of the things that you could do from the developer configuration files. And I, I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not saying that it was blocked because of the video I made, but maybe they saw in under analytics a number of people using things that they were not supposed to. Right. <laughs> and I got them to react. <laughs> uh, so it's that, reading configuration files, uh, sometimes a little bit of intuition, uh, l- reading a lot of mod uh, documents. For one of my favorite cases is Metal Gear Solid Five, because that game has no configuration files. It had, like, nothing to work with. Um, but... The, when the game came out, uh, the modders just ex- explored the game to its core. The, the modding scene for that game was fantastic. And the, that was sort of on, on a NeoGAF thread where some guy discovered how to de-encrypt certain of the files, and people just went insane, and people started posting like, oh, I discovered these things are on this line, this part, or this script controls this part. And some guy discovered uh, the script inside the game that controls uh, what variables are loaded, when you set like low settings or medium settings on the configuration screen and this guy described his process and was using it to develop a mod where the game will go like over the ultra high settings Mm -hmm. something over ultra high and i was reading it and thinking to myself hey but you know i can use exactly this thing but turn it all the way down and make like something that is even lower than lower which is what i did so it's reading a lot (laughs) i'm experimenting a lot and even with that there's uh, it, it's highly dependent on what you can find. If there's some game that has no developer documentation, no modding scene, like nothing reading about it, it is exponentially harder. It sounds like a lot of technical work, um, yeah. but it, it clearly pays off. Uh, you know, when in, in the great videos that you do. So and you touched on my next question when you when you're talking about the Fortnite stuff. Do you ever? hear from developers uh that are either <laughs> angry about what you're doing because uh, you're tinkering with the game or are happy because you're kind of allowing more people to enjoy their games well f- uh, from the big developers i have never heard anything but i had some instances of creating a video the video making like half a million views or a million views or something and then the the a new update coming out and blocking exactly what i was doing which is always suspicious um but from smaller developers, I have heard better things. There was there was a case. It's funny because it's one of my like least popular videos, and yet is yet is one of the ones that I have more like fuzzy feelings for uh, about a game called. It's from the it's the Ave Odyssey's remake from mm. the Old World series. Can't remember the name of the remake. I think it's like new and tasty or something. Yes. Yep. That's it. And the developer for that game actually contacted me. And we actually had a conversation regarding how the configuration files work. So I was actually able to make that video because they explained to me like where the things were and what they did. Uh, I have had other indie developers reach me and, and had conversations to me regarding this. I wish it's, it's, I wish this was a thing that happened more often. Yes. Uh, but the problem is even it's a little bit hard to explain the appeal of what I do. Uh, I go to, or I try to go to a lot of gaming conventions, and I always like to talk to indie developers. And I always do tell them, you know, this is usually what I do. 
and to be mindful of people trying to play online computers. And I have had at least a couple of artists working on video being extremely horrified at, <laughs> at what I attempt. Uh, so I guess it's a matter of priorities. It makes sense. I mean, I guess from a developer standpoint, you spend all this time toiling away on these really detailed assets and they see that as, you know, you, you try to eliminate that. But obviously the point is really accessibility and, and getting people to play, getting more people to play games. I think it, it comes, and, and I'm sorry to extend that point a little further, but oh, I no, think go there's, ahead. A, there's an interesting point to be made there because it, it comes down to the philosophy of the platform. The thing I do is very, I think has been very well uh, received from people who are very hardcore into PC gaming because it expresses pretty well what differentiates a platform. People who develop game with a more like console-like mentality, you focus the game uh, as a sort of finished product. As here it is, here this, this is how it works, this is how it's supposed to be. But the PC platform is first and foremost a thing about flexibility. Like if you grab a hundred people playing on PCs and each one plays their game, they're going to have like 50 different experiences. Right. Some people just play the vanilla game. Some people play it on high settings. Some people play in low settings. Some people play only using mods. And each one gets a completely different thing. So, and from a developer, it, it takes a lot of open-mindedness to, to sort of produce your game and to sell your game in, in knowing that people are going to probably explore it or play it differently than you expect or design it for. But that's eminently what I think makes the PC platform so special. Absolutely. And when you're doing all this tinkering, um, have you ever had things just go spectacularly wrong on a technical level, whether you know, a, a game just completely breaks or even, you know, when you're when you're physically messing with PCs, like ever have you ever fried a PC doing what you do? Or, you know, what are what are some of the uh, what are some of the technical mishaps that happen? Well, uh, games break constantly. Thankfully, that is something I, I keep backups of all of all files of all games, always because of this reason. Um, sometimes it's just silly stuff that I can add on videos like, oh, everything has become too dark or sometimes the textures go haywire and I'm able to make some um, comedy out of that. Um, I, I think I am yet to physically burn something to the point that I cannot use it. Uh, since I'm always swapping RAMs or swapping GPUs or swapping stuff, I have damaged a fair amount of CPU coolers, that's for sure, and I almost, almost damaged a couple of motherboards once. Um, I, uh, when I started the channel, um, I was using the same computer to play the games and to produce the videos that I use for my daily stuff, which was nerve wracking. Uh, nowadays it's much easier because I have sort of my editing computer or my, my, my laptop that I use to write a scripts and so on. And I have computers that I use exclusively for channel stuff. So even if I, and it has happened, uh, move something incorrectly or change something in the system registry and I break Windows, like no biggie. I can format the entire hard drive and do it again because the only thing that were, was in that computer were channel and experimental related things. Right. I, I have damaged a fair amount of Windows installations. That, <laughs> that has happened. And drivers. And I have done things with drivers that I was not supposed to. That has happened. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's, it comes with the territory of, of constantly Absolutely. tinkering. Um, so with all, you know, with all this 
great stuff you're doing. Do you do you have any favorite videos of yours that really stand out uh, from the rest? Uh, yeah, I, I always make a joke that for for every creator, if you ask this question, you will often find that some of a creator's favorite videos are the ones that are the least popular and then the ones that have like a million views are the ones we all hate. Uh, <laughs> I, I can relate I, to that. <laughs> I, I don't know why this happens, but at this point I'm done trying to fight it. <laughs> um, but some of my favorite ones are just the the GPD Pocket and the GPD Wing series were really good. Uh, for those who do not know, uh, GPD is a small company in China that produces really weird and really innovative small PCs. Their first, well, their first no big known product was the GPD Win, which is basically like a Nintendo 3DS, but it runs Windows. So you mm-hmm. can play Steam games there. Obviously, it's a low-end computer, so it's meant for smaller games, but I, I try to push that to the limit. Of and course. They, they follow that with the GPD Pocket, which is a laptop that is tiny. People always like to stare at me when I use it in public. It's, it's something <laughs> that fits in your pocket. And I also have used it for a fair amount of games, including Overwatch. I enjoy those games a lot because it's all—it's a mixture of telling the story of a product and also doing something interesting with it. Th- those I have enjoyed a lot. Recently, I'm making a, a series called The Trash Top, which is, uh, as I, I think I mentioned before, I'm using, uh, actually, the, the story behind that series is really good. I always go, well, always, for the last, I don't know, two years, I have gone to Gamescon, uh, which is the biggest gaming expo in the world uh, by attendees, and it's mm-hmm. in Germany. So it's very close, it's very close to me, very easy to go. And there's a German fan that I have that also attends Gamescon, that the guy is just a freaking pro at, at finding gaming components that people throw in the trash in Germany. And to quote him, you will be surprised at the stuff people throw in the trash in Germany. <laughs> so he goes to, to junkyards and buys all these components for like pennies. And he has rooms filled with them. So every time I go to Germany, he gives me stuff that, that, that he no longer has use for. GPUs, motherboards, CPUs, RAM. I always come back from Gamescom with a bag filled with trash that's great so, i'm just picturing you know most people go conventions they'll have you know they'll come back with a bunch of merchandise and and toys and games and you just have a bunch of old pc parts yep exactly no <laughs> uh, after i return from gamescom i always find like i rummaging my pockets and i find like cpus and stuff it's bizarre uh <laughs> no you you should have seen you should see the faces of the security people in the airport when i go by oh i can only I, imagine I, I can i have always have to give explanations so it's for science it's for science so i had all (laughs) all these trash components laying around and i thought to myself like hey you know what's the best that i can build out of this 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 cost me nothing a guy bought most of this in the trash what can i do with this so i started the series called the trash top where i try to build stuff from from all the trash and i started actually picking up trash locally or, or stuff that people were throwing away in my city to continue the series and and try to see how far i can get it and I have gotten it way farther than I expected. Like, I, I am now really surprised at just how far you can get gaming with stuff people throw away. Um, and uh, those videos were extraordinarily fun to make because they were extremely experimental because I had to just get creative with it and, and see where I can take them. And uh, those are really recent, but they are ranking very high in my own personal list just of how because of how much fun they were to make. 
Oh yeah, that that sounds like a lot of fun. And um, speaking of fun, I want to rewind a little bit. Um, you know, get get your history as 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 a gamer. Uh, what's the first game you ever played? Uh, the Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. When I got a Nintendo 64 as a Christmas present in like I don't know when I was 11, so maybe 2001, 2002. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that my my first console was a Nintendo 64. And uh, my first game was Ocarina of Time, which was both a blessing and a curse because it skewed my perspective of what a video game should be. Uh, right. That game was really revolutionary for the time. So it, 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 it became a matter of, wow, this, you know, the first thing that I play sort of makes your standard of how things should be. And then everything else felt like crap. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, yeah, that's a hell of a game to start out with. <laughs> yeah. Um. But uh, and I was mainly owning uh, Nintendo-related consoles until sort of the Xbox 360 generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started seeing what was happening outside of Nintendo, that was really interesting. Things like Assassin's Creed and Batman: Arkham Asylum and the Mass Effect series in particular. Um, and that's when I started thinking to myself, like, hey, you know, those games are also on PC. Maybe I can try and play them on this laptop that I have, which which sort of started this whole thing. Awesome. Yeah, what's your favorite game of all time? Uh, the, on PC or in general? Uh, just in general. The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. I okay, so you re- kept it kept in the family. Yeah, I, I replay that game at least one per year. Awesome. Have you played Breath of the Wild? Yes, yes. I, I got it twice i gotta put the wii <laughs> on <the> switch <laughs> yeah it's that it's an incredible game i think nintendo's yeah. just just doing incredible things what do you think about the switch as you know from your perspective as kind of a, a technical expert i would repeat some of the of the stuff that uh, i have heard a lot of people that dwell in pc gaming say the switch right now is sort of the best companion console that you, you can have if you're a pc gamer because uh, I, I know they're exclusives on PlayStation and Xbox One and so on, but oh god, it's just they, it it feels like most more of the same compared to PC and just losing all the flexibility and all the marvelously different things that the that the PC can do. So um, so to me, sort of the ideal position to be in gaming right now will be to have a PC and then have a Switch. And I have had <laughs> I've seen a lot of people posting online things like oh i'm playing super mario odyssey on my switch while i'm waiting for PUBG to load the next game and I have oh yes yeah. i have done this so i know this is a thing that happens um it was interesting to see the switch sort of prove a concept because uh, i mentioned before the product the, the jupiter win the sort of 3ds looking device that is actually a pc that came out before the switch and when i remember when i was sent to one as a review unit to start making videos of it I the first thing I think I tried was to manage to make Skyrim run on it, and very close to that I had to do a couple of of trips and I was on the plane playing Skyrim on this 3DS looking device and thinking to myself, this is amazing. This I I had completely the the idea of having a full PC game on something that I can carry in my bag and then play here when I'm bored. This is fantastic. So after that, the the Switch trailer hits, and I'm like, I see the concept here because I have played something like this before, and I know it could be great. And uh, I'm uh, obviously for the 
stuff I do in my channel, uh, you can guess that I'm more about gameplay and about portability and functionality rather than graphics. And the right. Switch is absolutely about that. Uh, when when I go to conventions, when I the last convention that I went to Spain uh, in Spain, Doom for the Switch had not been released, but they had demos, and that was like the first thing that I wanted to try because Doom is one of the main games that I like to use to benchmark computers because it's flexible, it's a very intense AAA game, but you can get away with a lot of little performance tricks. And to see it running on something portable like like that was interesting, especially because you start playing with it and you start noticing the, how they played a little bit with the texture resolution, how it uses a lot of dynamic resolution in the backgrounds in order in order to to be able to to be playable and have playable performance of something as small as a Nintendo Switch. And to me, that would, that's probably one of the best versions of Doom of the modern Doom there is. I know mm. a lot of people will prefer like big flashy ones on a full console or on a very strong PC. But to be able to work with that game and re- and sort of reduce it to a point where you can play on a handheld, it's just fantastic. Yeah, it's very interesting kind of the parallels between what these AAA developers are doing and what with Switch and kind of what you're doing with, with PC games. Because you're seeing more and more of it. Like LA Noir just came over um you know you mentioned doom and skyrim wolfenstein's on the way so it's very cool it's very cool to see i am very interested in seeing what they're going to do with wolfenstein 2 yeah because right now wolfenstein 2 on pc has my personal record of the highest gpu requirements i have ever seen on a game oh wow that game obligated me to upgrade the test pc which had never happened before wow uh and it's insane like a doom i can see it working on a switch but whoever has the responsibility of adjusting or reporting or re sort of imagining or re whatever they have to change on wolfenstein 2 for it to work on a switch they have a huge work ahead of them and i'm really interested in in seeing how it's going to look on the other side yeah very very excited to see how that turns out probably be a challenge for the developers but uh Hopefully it works out. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite games to just play, uh, I guess, in, in terms of what you do? Like, what are some of your, your favorite PC games that tend to work really well on everything? Uh, that tend to work really well on everything? Well, I already mentioned Doom, that it's it's surprisingly flexible. Um, I As I mentioned before, I also really like Metal Gear Solid Five. Metal Gear Solid Five in particular is... The engine that it uses is made out of magic. I have no idea how they <laughs> they did it, but you, you you can get a computer that's really old, really CPU limited, only a dual core, a very low end GPU, and that any modern game barely manages to start. And you throw Metal Gear Solid Five, 720, lowest settings, not even touching like any configuration files or anything, and it, it pulls like 30 FPS uh, right off the gate. And you're like, how? How did they, wow. did they even? It doesn't even look bad. So that that's very high up in that list. Um, I was going to mention Near Automata because I really enjoyed that game, but that's yes. oof, that's a performance mess. Uh, unless you, <laughs> <clears throat> there's a the video that I made about that game was centered around a mod that people made. That, that you probably heard of this because it was really well known and also controversial. And the mod allows you to play around with the global illumination. And it takes it from being impossible to run in a low in a sort of older computer to very much possible in like one click, which is fantastic. And that's a game I enjoy a lot. Oh, Overwatch definitely goes into the list. Oh, Overwatch yeah. 
holds uh, a very special place in my heart regarding <laughs> performance and regarding gameplay. One, because it's sort of the first multiplayer shooter of that type that I actually enjoyed. I'm not super skilled in video games, so I never played like uh, many hours of Counter-Strike or many hours of Call of Duty because um, I wouldn't have fun just getting into a match and then dying every 10 or 15 seconds. That would yeah. be, not be my definition of fun. Overwatch <laughs> was different to me because Overwatch is designed in a way that you can grab a character, you can see its abilities, and immediately know what's sort of the point of that character in the team. Be like, okay, yeah. so this is my role. And you can play with your team and do that role. And even if you're really new, you can contribute to your team and actually do well. And uh, so uh, probably of all multiplayer games released ever, Overwatch is the one that I have put more hours into personally. And the good thing is that if you look the minimum requirements for Overwatch, the, their GPU is like a Intel HD 4400, which is yeah. crazy. I have never seen like a AAA release of that magnitude have such an old Intel HD as its minimum requirement, and it does work. You can throw Overwatch some really low and stuff and it will actually work so that's very much up there it seems like blizzard has a knack for just allowing their games to run on on a lot of different systems yeah they do uh, i don't think it's just having a knack it's understanding the value it provides like yeah. overwatch is the kind of product that works if you get as many people as possible to be able to play the game in the first place yeah and it's a global phenomenon now so it makes sense Yes, absolutely, which begs the question of, if you look at other global phenomenons like PUBG, I don't understand, I mean, I understand from a gameplay perspective how the PUBG managed to become so popular, because it's an interesting game to play and an interesting game to watch. But it's right until recently, with the 1.0 release, it was so bad on performance like you needed <laughs> something really powerful just to get to the very basic level right which on one side tells me uh in one side ask makes me ask the question of how do the game with such strong limitations manage to to be so popular and on the other side actually um tells me a little bit that the narrative regarding pc gaming is a little bit wrong in this sense because most, if you look like streamers, not like the super professional ones, but like the people who are starting streaming on Twitch, which are like closer to the medium of people actually playing this game for fun, mm -hmm. or or you go to friends' houses and and just see people playing this game, they're not exactly playing, you know, highest settings, 60 FPS. They're like medium to low settings, 720p, and they're 32 to 40 FPS if they're lucky. So what that tells me is that a game can be popular if if it's well-designed, if the gameplay is fun, even if it runs like crap. Definitely seems like the optimization seemed like a big problem at first, but at least it looks like they're getting there slowly but surely. Yeah, slowly. Well, the, the, the <laughs> update they have recently was a major improvement, which I'm super glad they did. Um, yeah, but it's it's interesting to see how there's sometimes such a decorrelation between the game actually working on a technical perspective and it actually being successful because it works on a gameplay perspective. Right. Do you have time these days to even just kind of kick back with the game for fun or is it usually doing stuff for the channel? Um, it, it depends. In the, the last two months have been particularly bad in the sense that I have 
um, very few time to actually enjoy certain games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess it depends on the on the gate, well, the period or the things that I'm doing at the moment, or uh, on the game itself. Um, I have a, an internal scale regarding. I mean, if you see some of the videos, you will notice that some of them are games that I'm like one or two hours into the game, and I'm just experimenting and seeing what I can get. And then when you see some other videos, you will notice that I'm already like 10 to 20 hours into the game. And and that's because I always give every game sort of a fair um, attempt, at least. And if I'm not super feeling the game, I will be like, okay, I'm going to stop here and just focus on, on what I can do for the video. But for some very rare cases, I the game sort of grows on me and I end up playing it the whole way. Even when you really like a game, you sort of find a, a way to, to keep playing it, even if it means sleeping less. <laughs> yep, I can relate. Things like, uh, I think Hellblade is a good example. I wanted to touch it because it wasn't a real Agent 4 game, and I just ended up enjoying it so much that just ended up playing a lot of it in my free time. Fortnite was another good example of that. Dark Souls, actually, this is, this is a, a good place to mention something interesting that I have noticed while working on these videos, which is... Um, I was avoiding Dark Souls very strongly because, you know, it's the it's a super hard game. It's the get good culture. It's the, it's the <laughs> sort of part of the Internet that I'm, I don't like hard games. I just find them frustrating. So obviously I, I didn't even want to touch on it. But uh, this was, I don't know, like a year into the channel. So many people were asking for a video on Dark Souls. So many people that I just had to give it a try. And I... They try the the mod, the DSFX mod that everyone uses, and I did reduce the internal resolution to something that is absurd. But since the internal resolution was so low, it was very hard to appreciate sort of the visual aspect of the game. But you know a game is very well designed where you're playing like on 300 by 200 pixels. And you can understand how the level works. Or yeah. you, you see an enemy as barely a group of pixels, and you can still sort of see its telegraph movements, and you can see when it's going to do a certain type of attack. And after going through this, I started telling me, telling myself, like, wow, like Dark Souls is a really well-designed game. Like, the levels are well-designed, the enemies are extremely readable, and it's difficult, it's hard, but it's designed around this difficulty. So it's not overwhelming or or frustrating it's just interesting so even though i thought i I was going to hate that game i ended up playing the whole of it and i have put i don't know maybe 70 72 hours on dark souls 3 which is not like one of my favorite games ever and i will Mm -hmm. have never discovered that game if i will have not done the experiment through the channel and realized that the interesting design things that were underneath Hellblade is another good example of that because, well, a lot of people play Hellblade for the visuals. It is a visually stunning game. Yeah. But uh, when you take that away, um, you do realize another thing, which is that the game's audio design and the game's sort of pacing and, and the combat fl- and animation system for the game is fantastic. But if you're a little bit too distracted just watching the graphics, you, you don't see these things. Uh, but... When I'm working on a video, they tend to pop up because you still notice them after all the graphics are bad. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that 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 happens. <laughs> Very cool. So yeah, it seems like you've actually managed to uh, discover games you really enjoy by doing the channel. Oh, absolutely. Does it ever get stressful 
being a full-time YouTuber from a financial standpoint with things like the adpocalypse? Do you ever worry about you know YouTube's monetization just going crazy or subscribers going away, things like that? Absolutely. Um, working as a full-time YouTube creator is sort of living in a sea of uncertainty because YouTube is changing all the time. And I was aware of this from the moment I started. I This wasn't a surprise to me. Um, in 2000, I, I started the channel, I think, in 2015. And even when I started, a lot of people were telling me, like, why are you starting a YouTube channel? Are you not seeing the stuff that is happening? YouTube is dying. This phrase, YouTube's dying, I have been hearing this for the last three years. And I know people doing this for, like, six or seven years who have been hearing this for seven years. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's dying. It's just changing all the time. So that obligates you to, to keep on your toes and always be willing to experiment and do things differently because whatever works today might not work tomorrow. And... Um, I do my best not to rely entirely on AdSense income or income directly from YouTube because it's even even if you don't include things like the apocalypse, which did affect a lot of creators, including me, um, YouTube ad revenue is very unreliable. It's very hard to predict. Sometimes you make like 2 million views and that amounts to X amount of money and sometimes you make 3 million views and it's less and you never understand exactly why because it depends on so many variables that it, it's very hard to say, okay, you know, next month I'm going to make uh, this amount of money so I'm going to budget this amount for food, this amount for travel, this amount for games and then, you know, you end up doing an entirely different amount of money. Um, also, very important to note, my channel is very geographically distributed and that mm -hmm. means that I got people watching from all over the world. There's there's not a single country that accounts for more than 30% of my entire audience, which is rare. Most of the creators that I have talked to, that I have friends with, usually have 50 to 60% of the audience concentrated in one or two countries. And a lot of the countries of people who watch me are in countries that YouTube has a very poor presence, monetarily speaking. So the, the CPMs aren't that good, and the, those views don't generate a lot of money. Uh, so f as soon as I called, I started doing my plans around other venues of monetization outside of YouTube. Maybe like sponsorships or just working directly with certain companies or stuff like that. And that takes a lot of the pressure off, but it's basically like being like any freelancer in the sense that you never know exactly how much money you're going to make each month. So you have to plan ahead and, and work with what you have. Right. Well, it seems like you've been doing a really good job of that so far. And uh doesn't seem like the channel has any signs of slowing down. No, I, I think right now it's actually one of its, its good moments, mainly because... Uh, it's it's a good moment for experimentation. There was actually mm. um, so often you will see creators being like, "Hey, you know, I was making this amount of views per video, and then like a switch flipped or something, and I'm making half just mm. overnight." And this has happened to me like twice. And you never know what it's why it's going to happen because it's just the algorithm having quirks on it and the algorithm changing things and you not knowing. Um, but those, to me, are the great opportunities to be like, okay, you know, I'm making half the amount of views I was making before. Let's try something new to see, you know, that I have nothing to lose. 
since I already lost like half of the views, I have nothing. What am I, what else am I going to lose? Mm-hmm. And from those experiments, usually some of the best series in the channel have been born, and those always like perk up the channel and like reignite that that spark of growth. Do you have any specific people or or maybe other channels that inspire the work you do on Low Spec Gamer? Oh yeah, well, from many perspectives, a lot of my inspirations come from from places you wouldn't expect. Um, one guy that ha ins- that inspired a lot of my flow in certain videos is a very well loved channel called Greenham Gaming, who makes relaxed videos about technology, so centered around like a story. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily for me, I actually got noticed by him, and we started talking. And nowadays, we're more friends, and we were like in speaking constantly through Twitter and such. And other channels that you wouldn't expect would be things like Game Theory, Game Theory from MadPat. He is really good at picking topics and maintaining a certain flow of editing. If you sort of distill some of the things he says on his videos. You 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 like read it on a script and think, hey, this isn't that entertaining. And then you see the style of editing he uses, the style of narration he uses, and be like, okay, I get it. This is how you explain something and actually manage to make it interesting. Um, let me let me think. There's a couple of Spanish channels that I might mention, but a lot of listeners might not know who they are because they're in Spanish. People like uh, Script, which is a great uh, sort of uh, video essayist from, from Spain, which I have learned a lot from, and one of the channels I respect the most. Um, game Maker's Toolkit by Mark Brown, which is another channel about game analysis that is just fantastic. Extra Credits, which is, you know, the channel about topics about how they work in gaming. Once again, it's a channel about explaining stuff. So you, you see through their explanations how to make things that could be very mundane uh, very interesting. And then from a technical point, um, I will say people like Linus Tech Tips. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're more reviewers, but I like how they handle what is a very technical topic and then make it interesting and make it a story and make it something that you can actually be passionate about. And obviously, they're like the biggest in, in, the, in this sort of territory and they definitely know what you're doing uh but they have proven to be a very strong source of inspiration all the time awesome that's a great group and i I definitely see the through line of just kind of taking these complex topics and making them really fun to to learn about you know through these videos awesome so i've got one more question for you and that is basically what's next for low spec gamer do you have any kind of big projects in the works or kind of any specific directions you're looking to take the channel in yeah, there's there's several things. Uh, as previously mentioned, I'm ramping up the ideas for the trash tubs. I have started literally buying people's trash in Spain where <laughs> I live in order to, to have video ideas for it. I'm already excited for some of the things that are coming next year. I started a new series with uh, my editor called Low Spec Gamer Recommends, and this series is basically in the lesser-known indie games that work really well on low-end computers out of the box. And this was inspired by basically going to conferences. If you go to gaming conferences, you always see that you have this huge stands for the AAA releases, and then you have like the indie area with like right. super tiny stands. Mm-hmm. And if you play around in the indie area, you always find like two or three ideas that are really good, just people are not paying attention to them. Um, 
every time I go to a conference and find these people, I, I am like, oh, I wish I had a space just to talk about this in my channel. So I just went ahead and created a space for that. And the theme was, you know, as long as it works in a really low-end computer, really well out of the box, you know, I can talk about it. Uh, and even though I know that series is going to be smaller, I'm super happy to have a place for that and, and to be developing it. The GPD Win that I mentioned, uh, the 3DS device, uh, they're going to release a second version next year. I am super hyped for that one because they upgraded uh, the insights for to an M3 CPU, and that is a major upgrade from the last one. So that means, in my eyes, uh, something almost close to to a Nintendo Switch in in terms of some games and sometimes of performance. But still as small as a 3DS. And given how much fun and interest I, I had from making the GPD Win videos, I can't wait for make a series about the GPD Win 2. That is, it's coming out, I think, on April. So that is something that I'm super looking forward to. I want to get into more collaborations because um, there are people doing interesting stuff in the budget gaming category. It's just, Really hard to coordinate. I have reached out to a lot of them. I have uh, some ideas that we oh, have exchanged, but it never settings, quite this game is really not doing gets well this into uh, into something that we can actually start working because we're all like trapped in this hustle or trying to, to to keep our channels going. Right, of course. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to actually being able to to make that happen. In 2018, I'm just having more developers be interested. As the channel grow, I I have the very privileged position of of actually more developers paying attention to it, and that gives me a wonderful opportunity to sort of give this perspective and be like, hey, you know, have you thought about how your games are going to play on on people with less extensive computers, less powerful computers. Have you tested how this is actually going to work? Because a lot of them don't even test. And I have talked to developers where I'm like, hey, you know, did you know your game works really well on this super extraordinarily low thing that I tried? They were like, we never tested. We never thought anyone was going to try. So I'm looking forward uh, to the channel being bigger just so I can bring that perspective. So I can talk to developers and be like, no, test it. Or think about allowing players to disable shadows, to use lower resolutions. Just trust your game and see exactly where it can go. Well, I am definitely looking forward to all of that. Um, yeah, hopefully you can convince more developers to make their stuff run well on more things, because at the end of the day, it's all about getting more people to enjoy these awesome games. Uh, and I'm definitely definitely excited for more of the trash top stuff. I might even uh, start digging around, see what old PC parts I can find. I will highly recommend it. You you are going to, I mean, you'll be surprised. I think the, the magic of it comes. Oh, I can actually give you a um a sort of look more or less into into the script of one of this when which one of these videos is going to be happening soon. Um for the trash top videos that I have made, I'm using a motherboard which is a seven seven five socket. This is the socket that Intel CPUs used like before the i3, i5, and i7 generation. That, that 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 didn't exist back on that socket. So we're talking like Core Duos, Intel Pentiums, like really old stuff. However, turns out, I discovered this recently, that there's an entire industry sort of being built around China about taking servers 
that use hardware from this generation and then you know people are throwing them away server farms are throwing them away this is obsolete this is technology from more than 10 years ago and then grabbing those really powerful um, server CPUs and then repurposing them and making some modifications to them so they work in like normal consumer commercial sockets and you can buy them on some online like Chinese retailer sites for like 10 or 12 dollars and these are CPUs that do, they are like server CPUs from 10 years ago but turns out if you throw them at modern stuff they do really well so that's a topic that I think it's going to be fascinating for a trash to video to be like, hey, you know, let's try this server CPU from 10 years ago that someone in China is harvesting and selling for like super low and, and see how it actually does well, like on really strong modern games. That, that kind of stuff is just fascinating to experiment with. Yeah, that's that's super exciting. Um, definitely looking forward to seeing more experimentation in that area. So, Alex, thank you so much. Uh, this has been an absolute blast. It's been completely fascinating hearing about the ways you kind of tinker with and Frankenstein all of these games <laughs> and, and pieces of hardware. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's all for a good purpose. It's it's cool seeing comments in your channel of people just, like, they're getting to enjoy games that they probably normally wouldn't have. I mean, I think, I think that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, before we leave off, where can people keep up with everything you do? Well, obviously, YouTube at the Low Spec Gamer channel. As far as social network goes, Twitter at Low Spec uh, slash, well, slash dash gamer is probably the, the main place where I post things that I'm thinking at the moment. But if you want to talk to me more directly, uh, I have a Discord server at discord.gg slash low spec. Uh, where I'm usually hanging around the video talk channel or in general. And if you write me, my DMs are open. If you write me a message, if you tag me on the server, I 100% of the time read it and answer. So if you want to keep up, Twitter. If you want to reach me out, Discord. Sounds great. Well, guys, definitely follow follow Alex's channel. Definitely subscribe on YouTube. And uh, just take it easy on the obscure game requests because it's <laughs> not as simple as you might think. And as always, this has been People Playing Games. We are everywhere podcasts are available. You can find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and so on. Thank you so much for an amazing 2017. And thank you so much for following us into this year. Let's hope it's a good one. Hope we make it through. I think we can do it. And uh, as always, guys, keep on playing.